0: Pulp MX Network Production. Pulp fans, we're 550 plus shows and counting thanks to your support of our sponsors. Get the Pulp MX app for iOS and Android today. Save money with discount code Pulp at BTOSports.com and click the Amazon banner on PulpMX.com for all other online purchases. It's the BTOSports.com Steve Mathis Show, presented by Fox Racing
1: Welcome to the BTOsports.com RacerX podcast presented by Fox Racing. BTOsports.com, the nation's leading retailer. Use the code PULPMX when you're checking out to save yourself money on anything that they carry. Proud sponsors of the BTO Sports KTM team with Andrew Short and Justin Brayton. And also uh, Fox Racing, foxhead.com, 2015 stuff out now. Some real cool limited edition 40th anniversary retro gear that the man on the line probably wore at some point, looking like it anyways, and uh, Ryan Dungey, Kenny and many more uh, riders use it, V3 uh, helmet, instinct boot, airspace performance goggle, foxhead.com, and sports.com I'm Steve Mathis, as usual, with me on the line is a guy that can somewhat relate to what's going on right now in our sport with Ryan Villopoto heading over to Europe to ride the GPs next year, this man did it. Uh, a long time ago, but uh, in, in definitely more trying circumstances, he was America's first world champion and uh, really a true legend in the sport, a national champion as well. He is former world champion, Bad Brad Lackey. What's up, Brad? How are you?
0: Good morning, Steve. Everything good down there in L.A.?
1: Yeah, well, I'm in Vegas. I'm in Vegas. Vegas, all right. That's even
0: better. <laughs> you are you're in NorCal? You grew up and you're born and raised there. Are you back there? Yeah, no, I've never left. Uh, Mm -hmm. Actually, I did live in SoCal for uh, about eight months when I had a factory Cali contract in the early 70s just because I was in the contract. But other than that, yeah, I was born in Berkeley and lived up here all my life and still here. Um, Let me
1: just tell you, as a kid growing up, your Jones goggle ad always scared the shit out of me, Brad. Just very intimidating. (laughs) I would not want to line up next to you in that
0: if you had that look. I think that was their plan, uh, you know, <laughs> to throw the product off uh, correctly, and, uh, you know, it was a little different, but, uh, yeah, they did a good job on that.
1: Yeah, yeah, no doubt about it. Well, hey, thanks again for taking the time to do this. I got a lot of questions, and, uh, a couple, you know, a couple people helped me out with some questions. I want to thank them, too, for this. Um, as I said, I'm, uh, I'm just turned 40, so um, I was a little kid when you were winning, but um, I definitely love love this old stories and getting that stuff out there. and. I mean uh and it's kind of relevant you were a reigning national champion and you probably could have made some good money and had a b- some good success in America but something drove you to do the GPs and it's kind of like that now with Ryan Villopoto he he just won his fourth Supercross title in a row he's got a bunch of national championships as well he wants to go to the GPs uh maybe not for the same reasons you did but it is sort of applicable it's it's a it's a a national champion heading over to Europe to uh, to try something different. Um, for you, I guess uh, uh, when you won the five hundred national title, what I mean, could you have stayed in America and made more money and got more success? What made you want to go?
0: Well, uh, a lot of reasons actually. You know, before I won that American championship in seventy two, you know, I was still riding uh, with the Europeans over here in the Interams and mm-hmm. stuff from sixty nine on. So. Now they came over here, you know, early sixty seven, maybe back east, but by sixty eight or nine they were here on the west coast mm-hmm. and you know I got to ride with them and you know, Joel and Holman and all the guys and it was just such a major difference their speed compared to ours and you know, I figured, well, if you're gonna grow and you're gonna get any better, you gotta go where the good guys are because America had good talent, of course, mm-hmm. but uh, they nobody here the top guys at the time, which I wasn't a top guy at the time, but all the top guys didn't stand a chance against them. So I kind of saw the writing on the wall. And then when I made my contract with, uh, Kawasaki in late 71, probably for the, uh, 72, 73 season, I had a clause on my contract that if I won the national championship for them, I had the option to go to Europe, uh, the following oh. year in 72, I mean, 73, 73. And, uh, Of course, they okayed that contract when I did that because they didn't think I was going to win one. And (laughs) and if I did win, they figured they wouldn't care at that point. But uh, it actually wasn't that way. I did win, and I did want to use that clause in my contract to go race the GPs, and they didn't want me to. They wanted me to stay in the States. And I said, well, Mm
2: -hmm.
0: you guys signed it. Come on. (laughs) And uh, that was basically it. So I got – some lackluster support from Kawasaki Hockey in 73 at the GPs. I, you know, I got one bike and the mechanic and no mm-hmm. parts, and they just kind of didn't want to even deal with it. They wanted me to stay in the States and carry the number one plate and right. ride around and, you know, sell product for them, which was understandable, but uh, mm-hmm. I wasn't interested in doing that. I wanted to go to the GPs, learn, learn what the ropes were and how to go faster, and so, you know, 73 was a little bit of a Hard year for us, and uh, you know, I, I think I got in the top 10 once or or something yeah. like that. You know, I finished the year on 13th or whatever the position was, I don't really remember, but I think it was a 13th. And uh, you know, that was a learning experience. Mm-hmm. I already been to Europe a couple times with CZ and Czech uh, training camps with Marty Tripes and a few guys, and you know, so I already kind of knew a little bit about what was going on, but uh, you were I didn't understand. You were riding yeah. you were riding CZs and they brought you over for a
1: training camp with Tripes over
0: to Oh yeah I, I was I I lived in Czechoslovakia for 6 months when I was 16 uh, <laughs> um riding CZs and working at the factory and I rode uh, 6 250 Grand Prix and won 500 oh. Grand Prix in 1971 I so had no I, idea I, I was, well, Okay I already been to Europe and I kind of knew what was going on so in 73 with the Kawasaki you know I you know I had a little experience so that was okay mm-hmm. so Anyway, so that's, that's the reason I went because of those all those things, and you know Villa Poto, I you know I, have, I can't speak for him. I have no idea why he's going, but I would assume a little bit that you know, after winning as many championships as he has here, you know, mm-hmm. and you know I only won one, and I wanted to get better, and I'm sure he's not going there to get better. He's going there to prove a point that uh, all the championships he's, he's won here in Supercross. Obviously, he's good enough to win indoors and outdoors, so he's mm-hmm. great on any type of terrain, any type of track. And uh, he wants to maybe—I don't know if he's thinking about retiring. Uh, why not add a world championship to your belt as you're getting out of the sport? That's a great move.
1: Yeah, he's—he's he's done. He said after after 2015, win or lose, you know. So uh, something tells me he's going to have a little more support from Kawasaki than you did, though, Brad. <laughs> Just a little bit. Let's see. Who, who sponsors the series over there? Um, it, it is a Monster series. Oh yeah, and who does he write for? Yeah, he writes for Monster. Ah, how about that? Um, <laughs> so, hey, when you were in Checo when you're sixteen, seventeen, or whatever, that is it
0: communist? Then is it, it? It would be right. It would be full. Oh yeah, yeah. It was full blown communist. You know, when I got there, um, you know, I didn't know anything about political. Right. Up evil in the world, you know, I didn't know anything about communism or anything i you know I didn't even realize that Czechoslovakia was communist, and the bikes were in this case you know communist built motorcycles you know that was something that didn't really come up here in California <laughs>
2: right,
0: and uh when I was leaving, my wife said. You know, be careful. You know, you're going over there to this place and all this stuff. And I'm going, what? what? I mean, what could happen? Are they going to try to keep me there? <laughs> and she goes, well, yeah, that's what they do sometimes. And yeah. I'm, going, oh, I'm just going to ride some motorcycles, have some fun, no big deal. Mm-hmm. And uh, I flew into Austria, and uh, a guy came and picked me up at the airport. And then as we get close to the truck border, they have these giant hydraulic. Um, bars that go across the the roadway at an angle so yeah. that there's no way you could possibly ram it and get out it just right. leads you right into a big chunk of cement and you'd crash you know and they had dogs and, and mirrors under the cars and checked everything Jeez. they brought in and took away any western magazines or anything that actually had any anything in it advertisement or showed mm-hmm. people that you know there was an outside world to their world and right uh, You know, everybody had a black car that you waited in line to buy. It was one model, one color, one this, one that. And every kid, when I got there, they tried to, I got to go in and out because I was going to Grand Prix. So they wanted to sneak in my car and hide and let me take them out. And, of course, I would have been executed if that happened. So, uh, you know, you couldn't do anything. And I was just amazed of how controlled it was and, you know. All of a sudden, California was the best place in the world.
1: You're like, look, I don't mean any trouble. I got a dove on my bars. I'm good.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, they they didn't even want the dove in.
1: Right, right, right. Um, Wow, that would have been just, and like you said, you're 16, you're pretty naive, 17, pretty naive, and you're like, you know, whatever, I am just riding dirt bikes, but man, it's some serious stuff back then. And then I can Uh imagine what Tripes was like.
0: Oh, yeah. Marty came in in '70. We had a camp there. This was the year before that. Mm -hmm. uh, But, you know, it was different. We weren't staying there a long time. It was just a training camp, and they Mm -hmm. treated us a little bit differently because it was a bunch of Americans. Actually, they took um, the best CZ riders throughout the United States and Canada, so there was about 12 of us or so, so they Mm -hmm. took a guy from every region, basically. Tripes was from LA, I was from North they had a guy from Texas, Tony Wynn, they had this guy from there, they had Sonny DeFeo from New York, they had a Canadian guy. So they took us all over there, and that was really the precursor to me getting to go in seventy one on that factory deal. They uh they evaluated us all and said, Okay, well, this is uh you guys are the best guys and it ended up that they assumed that uh Sonny DeFeo and I were the top riders of mm-hmm. all the C Z guys. So they offered us to come back in '71 and ride some grand Prix on factory bikes, and you, you can imagine what that's like when you're a kid. That's yeah. like the ultimate deal, right? And Sonny uh, called home and asked his dad, and his dad said, "Oh no, man, you gotta come home and finish school. You can't go ride grand Prix. That's <laughs> yeah. ridiculous." Yeah. And I and I called my dad and I said, "Hey, they want me to come back and ride some GPs and do this and do that," and and he had a pause for about one two three seconds. He goes, Well, you can always finish school. I said, That's <laughs> right. You're never gonna get this deal again. Yeah. Um hey So that so that was my that was my introduction over there and that's why I kept going and mm-hmm. you know, the whole reason behind my GP ca- campaign was the first opportunity I had, you No,
1: know? uh, when when you were the highest place in America in the trans AMA races, uh in the they're always held in the fall for many years. Different European guys would come over What places are we talking about here? Like, where are you finishing compared to the the front guys? How bad was it?
0: Oh, you know, depends on what year you're talking about. You know, in the early years, yeah, early years, yeah, when when before you headed over there. Oh, yeah, around that time. I don't know. You know, we'd get in the top 10, you know, that was yeah. about it. Wow. Huh. I mean, because they, they'd bring over a ton of guys. Mm-hmm. You know, there was, you know, a bunch of Europeans. It wasn't, you know, just Roger. It was, yeah. you know, 10, 12, 15 guys. And, you know, you could beat a couple of the, you know, guys that weren't top GP guys. But, uh, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, you'd know, get a six now and then or something like that. You wow. know, that was about it. Yeah. And you, didn't, you didn't, and you weren't in the hunt getting six. You just got six because the other guys broke down and got <laughs> a good day. You know?
1: How, what were they doing better than the American riders? What were I mean? Was it just everything? Were they just? I mean, you know, obviously it was more natural tracks, and, and the bikes were much different than, than nowadays. But where were they so much better at than you guys?
0: Well, they had better equipment. Did they? Yeah. the bikes, you know, were better. Our stuff was just kind of getting learned, and we didn't, you know, we didn't know suspension that much, and, mm-hmm. and the races were, you know, were. We would get tired at some point, and they didn't because they were used to 45-minute races. And, you know, they're older, you know, they're more experienced, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, we're 17, and they're 29 or, you know, 25, you know. They're yeah. at the peak, and we're kids trying to learn. So, you know, it was it was a combination of stuff, you know.
1: Right, right. Um, so you you head over to, to the GPs. Um, you're riding for Cowie. Bikes aren't great, not great support. How are the... How are the established GP guys, um, how, how how do they accept you, or do they? I mean, are they are they kind of bitter towards you? Or are they buddies with you? How how does that go?
0: Well, you know, like I said, I, I met them already quite a few times with mm-hmm. some of those GPs earlier, at the transam earlier, and the Inter Ams earlier, so I knew a lot of the guys. So, okay. You know, the Czech, Czech guys, they didn't speak any English, so you couldn't really communicate with them. The Russian guys, same thing, you know. but. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, the Belgians and the English guys were my buddies because they spoke English, so I hung out with them, obviously. And, you know, Banks and Bickers and all those guys, they were all doing GPs at the time, and they came to the States prior to that, so I already knew them. And and, uh, so I had friends that way, and and, and I was not a threat by any means, so I was the cool American. If they hung out with me, it was just as cool for them as it was for me, because, you know, I wasn't going to take away their trophy or their money. I was just a kid trying to, you know, survive and Get in the top ten, and so I was no threat. So I was a you know a friend of everybody that uh, could speak English. Yeah, yeah, really right. Uh, When when I head over
1: to uh, uh, Europe, I go over there three four times a year. I've been there for many many years. A lot of the riders I talk to and the mechanics I talk to, they're all like, "Hey, I want to go to America. I want to. I want to do the series over there. I want. I love California. Blah blah blah. They love America. They want to come over. Almost you know. And there's a lot of them that tell me that you know, and they ask me questions about that. Now obviously the you know the leading motocross riders of the time were all based in Europe but was there a sense that they loved going to those Trans AMA races and they, they loved going to America like there is now?
0: No, I don't think so no. because uh, it was the end of the season. They already did 12 grand prixs. Right. From March on and March to eight, uh, August, and the and from January to March, they did you know twenty thirty international races, and mm-hmm. during the GP season, they did other international races on weekends and stuff. So at at the time, at the end of the GP season, at the end of August, you know they already ran thirty forty races, or yeah. how, how many can fit into a, you know those weekends plus some spare days? Right, and so Trans Am was uh a fun thing for them because they got to go to America and California and, and have fun but you know they were still that much better than us that they could come over here on vacation and still be this without really too much effort you know and right right and the only the only guy that ever wanted to come to America like you're saying with the guys nowadays yeah. was Pierre cuz mm-hmm. Pierre you know he was a top 10 finisher in a fan GP in Holland or something and that was his specialty and, you know, he he wasn't getting paid, he wasn't a GP guy, but he was still pretty old and wise and smart, and he was smart enough to come over here and take all the Americans' money, you know, and that was his <laughs> little plan, and he right. was the only guy who wanted to do it. The rest of Europeans thought America was, you know, not something to even think about because it was easy to win, and there was really no, no top side to it. But yep. here, as a guy that wasn't a GP Top guy, and he had nothing going on. He could come over and become a hero, make a lot of money, and go home. You know, and that's right. what he
1: did. So, I never realized that he wasn't that great in Europe. Obviously, he was a good rider and all that, but I never
0: realized he wasn't. You know, no, go, go on that Racer X archive thing or whatever that's called, where it shows all the should, yeah. results and all that stuff, and check out Pierre before he came here. Yeah, yeah. he's not a top guy,
1: right? Um, uh, and so it's uh, after the crappy first year. Uh, well, middling first year, I should say, you switched to Husky. How'd that happen? How'd that come about?
0: Well, my contract with Kawasaki was 72 and 73, yep. so it was up anyway. And I saw what support they gave me over there, which, like I said, they right. had no, no, they didn't want to help. They weren't interested in GPs. They had they had Torleaf Hansen and uh, Stig, uh, not Stig, uh, Stig's brother, uh, Peterson. Mm-hmm. Oli and a couple of guys riding cowies and the GPs and they, you know, they were happy with that. The factory was, and I was riding for us at that time. So they, they didn't want to co-mingle with the Japanese
2: mm-hmm. involvement.
0: So it's kind of like, this is our side, that's their side. So I had no support and I could see that if I made a contract with cowie again, I would be just destined to be in the States. So, right. uh, I looked at all the, european teams and hikey was one in on husky and it was you know pretty much a not a trick factory bike it was almost production with a few mm-hmm. modifications and i just thought well man that's got to be the best way to go mm-hmm. because of those things and if it's that good as a near production bike it will it'll be even better you know with a few mods and and they're serious about winning grand prix so mm-hmm. i contacted them and uh made a contract with them and that one was for 74, five and six. And, uh, I won my first GP on a Husky at Luxembourg. And, you know, I had a good, I had good times with them, um, pretty much the whole time because they had training camps too, that they taught us more about getting in shape and we'd go to Sweden every year and they had these brutal training camps in the (laughs) snow and ice and, uh, really, really, uh, fine tune the training aspect of my career. And, uh, and that, that helped a lot too.
1: And you were teammates with Heike, Mikola. Um Yeah, yeah. How was Heike, you know how was that? How how is he always again, before my time a little bit, but always a you know, a very scary looking
0: man. Um uh, did you get along with him? How was that? <laughs> I'm sitting in my office right now and I have a giant uh, twenty by twenty photo of Heike staring at me. Um, right. See. Yeah,
2: he,
0: yeah. No, he's a, he's a great guy. I mean, he's uh, of course he's intimidating, you know, with the way he looks. And I mean, he's from Finland, and the, and you know that's that place is covered in ice ninety percent of the time. And you know, he just is so tough because of his environment and brought up, and and all this training and stuff that he did at these husky camps with us. And you know, you just look at him and you go, man, I could grab an ice pick right now and stab him in the face, and the ice pick would probably break. You know? <laughs>
1: right. Right, um, and and did you did you get a raise on your Cowie deal, or how was the money and and all that? I mean, I know you were looking for forward, forward to the bike and all that, but how was the money? Was it any better than the Cowie, or did you take a hit?
0: You know, I I don't remember that. I do know how much I got paid on the Cowie, end. I think I took a hit uh, the first year or so. But mm-hmm. then you know it, it it went up the next year or two because I was doing good <laughs> in the GPS, and I and I you know I had a I I got. I brought something to the table for Husky too because I'd raced in the Trans Am and yeah. and a few other races here in the states and do good on the bike. So you know they got both sides of the pond. You True. know, so I was riding for the factory in Sweden, but on the other hand, I was helping the American side too. So you know that that gave me a little bit more push and a little bit more money on the on the True. contract. Man,
1: I uh, I encourage anybody to who's listening to this if you haven't seen the documentary One Chance to Win. It's about the seventy five, seventy six? Um seventy five. Seventy five five hundred national championship that you come back from uh Europe to race the last few rounds and uh and uh Carsmakers is in it and, and a bunch of uh top Americans and some some guys lost footage and man what an what a really cool documentary. Uh that was awesome. That was pretty cool.
0: Yeah, that was uh that was a great a little series you know yeah. I And mean, this is when they're they're phasing out the 500 class in america they only had five rounds mm-hmm. of 500 nationals i mean that sounds kind of ridiculous now but they were trying to i don't know why get rid of the 500 classes the 125 and 250 i mean maybe going more towards supercross and all that Yes. Yeah. Uh, i was uh I had one one good guy at the AMA that you know kind of liked me and understood what I was doing racing GPs where mm-hmm. a lot of them didn't you know care or didn't really understand it. And uh he said Brad, if you the last GPs in Luxembourg at this date, if you come home I'll adjust the schedule as much as I can, but, you know, I think you're going to miss two rounds. But right now, Winer won one and Graffy won one or something. If mm-hmm. you win the last three races, you can be national champion. I said, all right, I'm in. <laughs> so I came home on that Husky, and uh, I won the first round. And then the second round, uh, I got a flat front tire. And I was still going to – I won the first and I was going to win overall because I had to win all three races to, mm-hmm. to take the points and win, you know. Yeah, to have a
1: chance. It's a, It's a really yeah. cool documentary. Wow, is it ever neat.
0: Yeah and then Pierre ran into me and broke my shifter so I didn't win the second race and then I owed him one for the third race and if you see the film you can kind of figure you can that out.
1: figure it out what happened. Yeah, it was it was it was pretty cool.
0: Um hey, at this time like was that the fastest was that the fastest husky you ever saw in your life or what? Yeah, really, right? Hey, that- in fact Honda's down the straightaway at
1: will, you know. Um yeah, they're back now, Husky. KTM bought them. I don't know if you heard that, but they're basically...
0: Yeah, actually, um, I loaned that bike to Husky. It's down in L.A. at their, at oh. their showroom. Oh, That's cool. 25 bikes in the movie. Oh, wow. That's cool. Um,
1: yeah. Did you... When Supercross came around, and what was Supercross? 72?
0: 73? The first Supercross? Uh, type, types one, the first one, and 72, oh. I think, yeah.
1: Did you ever do them? Did you ever do any? Were you thinking that... Like you obviously were when you were in Europe, you were hearing about this stuff growing and growing. And what's your thought? What were your thoughts on that new uh, new format called Supercross? And, and and did you race it at all? Or did you have any desire to race it?
0: No, I rode the first few. I rode probably the first three at the Coliseum. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, I think I got second once. I mean, that was about it. Yep. I, it's it wasn't really my uh, my thing because I. I'm kind of an open class rider and and big track rider. I need a lot more space, so I'm not real good at the finesse end of it, which you need for supercrossing on a tight quarters. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I really didn't want to ride it, most of them. And uh, Goodwin, which was promoting the racers at that time, you know, he needed me because I was a big name in Europe and in the States, so... I was the only guy, American, to get start money for those races, I think. I made him pay me to come, so <laughs> I did ride them but, uh,
2: yeah. you know, I didn't really have
0: very good equipment, and when you ride it indoor on a Husky that's made for the desert, it doesn't turn, you know, it's not real good on the inside, tight tracks, so, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of things. That's why I like Ellis on a Can-Am. You know, they adjusted the rake on that thing, made it a little short little baby, and then turned on a dime, and, you know... the. You know, it got specialized really quick. You, right, know, you right. needed a special bike to ride indoors versus outdoors. And yeah. at that time, we're just riding our outdoor GP bikes, and, you know, they don't work on a right. something like that. So.
1: Um, when you were heading back uh, around this time, back to America to ride the trans uh, AMA races, uh, you, Marty Smith, Bob Hanna, these guys were kind of the kids now coming up. How would you get along with them? How was that? Um, did you see potential in those guys? I mean, did they did they even know what you were doing? um talk about that a little bit
0: well you know marty had been around for a while hannah was a little bit later than that but yeah. um you know i don't think so you know gps marty went over there in 77 i think 77 in, in i Rhodes.
1: think
0: yeah yeah was it 77 when he went i think so yeah we did both of them
1: i think it was 77 yeah
0: yeah and he went to the gps to give it a shot i don't know honda maybe <laughs> wanted him to go i don't think he wanted to go i've talked to him about it no, and I don't he think. didn't much like it but yeah um for some reason they want him to take the throne away from Suzuki because Suzuki had been running that 125 GP class for like eight years in a row. And they right. figured Marty was good enough to go win and which he, he was, but he wasn't good enough to put up with Europe. So that, that killed that deal. But
1: yeah, Marty's a SoCal, um, Marty's SoCal through and through. <laughs> I don't think oh, yeah, he liked totally. it. Yeah. He did not like yeah. it very much.
0: Yeah. So it was a little rough on him going over there, which, like I said, I, I went early and I, I was used to it and mm-hmm. so it was different for me, but, um, you know, Hannah, yeah, he was always a cocky little guy, and, you know, mm-hmm. nobody really liked him much. He was, you know, mm-hmm. too too brash and cocky, which, you know, I was when I was young, too. So, right. But he was doing it to the Europeans, and I was going, come on, show the old guy some respect. And <laughs> yeah, he, yeah. You know, he just had to do it his way, which was great. And then, you know, he he was one of the first guys, to, you know, put a beating on him pretty good, and I mm-hmm. was great. And, you know, I respect Bob a lot, but he just, you know, he had a different way about doing it, which, you know, mm-hmm. I was always, uh, you know, those are the older GP guys. So show them some respect. If you beat him, you beat him. You know, but he he did a little different way, and that was that was interesting. And yeah. I think a lot of Europeans didn't know how to take that. Uh, but he was uh, he was you know he was aggressive, and that was good.
1: Yeah. Um. Seventy seven. Uh, you switched to Honda. Um. What, uh, what 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 came about from that?
0: Well, the bikes. Um, oh. Husky and I, you know, we Heike was still winning at that time. I mean, he switched to Yamaha, I think, in 77, too. But um, we had, you know, the the factory, the mechanics were so old school at that point, and Mm -hmm. things were changing pretty rapidly. You know, the suspension changes and all that stuff was really making a big difference on the bikes and all that. And um, they just want to listen to my comments on what needed to be adjusted and changed. And they would always go back to, well, Heike wins on it, you know, I'm going, <laughs> okay, well, I'm not Heike, you know, and my chain falls off and Hikey's doesn't, you know, and they go, well, <laughs> you're riding the bike wrong, you know, I'm going, no, the swing arm is weak, you know, they, and they wouldn't buy it because yeah. if it didn't happen to Heike, then it was my fault somehow, so I got tired of that, and, and Honda, you know, came up with a good offer, and I knew their bikes, and they were serious about doing GPs now, so mm-hmm. I went, okay, well, no, no that's what i want i want a better bike and i want somebody serious about winning grand prix so i made that move and uh yeah and i mean things were coming together
1: because in 70 uh eight you got second to to hikey so the Honda proved to be a pretty good bike and now you were now you were a championship contender
0: yeah the bike was great Mm -hmm. uh but honda again you know made one bike for every rider and my trying to get personal changes—they went up for that. You know, mm-hmm. you're not the engineer; you're the rider. And you know, I don't—I don't, I don't understand. I mean, nowadays, you know, every bike, every rider—they make it completely set up for the rider, right? Yeah. And that—that—and that sounds normal. But mm-hmm. back then, I said, "Hey, I want to change the gearbox or the power." <clears throat> oh no, you've got to ride it like this. I'm just going. Well, I don't ride it like that, you know that was unheard of at the time for wanting to change and and that's what we always butthead on that in nowadays, you know, like I said, everybody gets what they want and and everybody thinks that's normal, but in the old days, no, it wasn't normal. you know you had to have some guys like me kind of stand up to fight for that to let the guys have it this day, you know
1: right. Um, were you I don't know if this was before them, but noise M- malerb were M- M- Andre Malerib, were they your teammates, or were they not at Honda yet? I don't know. 78 no
0: um noise was me Noice and ram were teammates
1: okay and, and, he, and then mallard
0: go- came on board after ktm after that after i got off uh yeah. i think he came on in 79 when i went to Kawasaki.
1: and uh so noise would win the 79 world title or 80 yeah.
0: yeah yeah one of those 79. years
1: um so how'd you get along with noise so he was pretty famous for having a good time off the track wasn't he
0: yeah, I'm gonna meet Graham in about a week in Italy, oh, cool. and we're gonna continue continue that. <laughs> nice, nice. Um, <laughs> that's good.
1: Yeah, that's got uh He, he's There's some legendary stories. I know an old English mechanic that uh, was around then, and uh, yeah, he said noise noise was out of control at some point. But yeah, he won a
0: title. So um, yeah, no, he he did good that year. He was very consistent, which is unheard of for him. But he did. Uh, um, he had a great bike and I switched to Cowie and I won more races while my bike broke down every week. And so yeah. he ended up winning the title and, you know, he was very consistent and, and perfect during that season. He mm-hmm. didn't screw up when he needed points. He got them. He didn't go crazy and try to win a race when he could get second or third. He, he had a great year in 79 and, yeah. uh, you know, that, that um, was a good thing for for England too, because they hadn't won a title in forever, you know?
1: Yeah. So you were one and done at Honda you were you were uh no, i
0: was seventy seven and 78. Oh, okay, so two years at Honda
1: sorry and um yeah i was I was the only guy to ever quit Honda, I think <laughs> yeah, really,
0: right well, you yeah. kind of everybody else got fired. I was the guy that resigned
1: right, right, um, and it's kind of the same way now, a little bit, you know, Honda's just got that little mystique or whatever they haven't won a title over here for a long time in America, but they're still factory Honda, you know what I mean they're still yeah, they're still that way um hey, all these times. Look, you're you're a young American guy. This is not, there's no internet. There's no, uh, the airplane travel isn't, you know, perfected or whatever. You're driving to these races. There's communist countries, Checo and these things. In all your time there, I mean, did you have some sketchy off-track moments where, like, you were in danger or you were scared? or I mean, I couldn't even imagine Europe back then.
0: Um, Yeah. A couple things, you know, they're, um, the fans are pretty serious, you know, like mm-hmm. for example, um, Grant, speaking of Graham, uh, in 80, in 79, when he was going to win the championship at the last race, it was Luxembourg as usual. Right. They always put, they always put it there cause the Belgians are in the hunt and they want to have it on the home, home turf. Mm-hmm. And, um, in 79, I already knew that at that point that I had, didn't have enough points to win and Graham was still fighting, uh maybe, uh, um, or I forget who at this point for the championship. And so they did our practice times and Mm -hmm. as usual, Graham was probably second or third in practice, but you know, he got 15th. So, um, they gave me my fast time, which I was the fastest and gave me, that's how you go to the gate. Right. So, yeah. So I go pick the best spot on the gate, you know, Mm -hmm. which is where everybody wants to be. Right. And then Graham comes out 15th because they screwed him, like always. (laughs) And I back my bike up and I give him my spot. Yeah. And then they come running over. They're having a heart attack. They're pulling their hair out. They're screaming, yelling, waving flags, having, you know, just a complete connection fit. And I said, What? I changed my mind. Yeah. And uh, (laughs) so then Graham (laughs) goes on to win the race. Yeah. And then in 82. When I was going to win, yep. it was the same scenario. Nothing had changed. I uh-huh. was fastest, and I got 12th in timing. Oh, yeah. And Graham gave me, Graham gave me his spot. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. I didn't know that. That's a part of motocross history I didn't know. So Yeah, and then and then I told Graham, I said, listen, if you get in front of Romans, right. don't go away. Just kind of stay there and don't let him pass you. Because so, I'm going to be hanging out in the back so I don't get killed, right? Right, right. And he goes, yeah, no problem. So he's just kind of up there riding around with Romans nipping at his heels, and they a spectator breaks his arm. Jeez. So, yeah, yeah, so that's the way the GPs used to work. Yeah. Anyway, Yeah. and then I have my children with me when I'm there, and the fans get pissed off, and they throw a Coke bottle at my kid, almost hit her in the head, and it breaks on my motorhome and just misses her, Ugh. you know, stuff like that. And then one time I was in my motorhome, and – you know, motorhomes over there, they didn't have them very much, and they're big and awkward on yeah. small roads. And, right. and uh, you know, I'm not fast. he really drives 100 miles an hour in Mercedes, you know. So I might have cut somebody off trying to get on a freeway or something, and the guy's mm-hmm. yelling, screaming, flipping me off. I said, pull over, you son of a bitch. Let's go. <laughs> anyway, so we pull over and stop, and this guy doesn't jump out of his car. He leans over, he opens up his glove box, he puts, slowly puts on a pair of gloves. <laughs> oh, shit. And I go, Oh, just kidding. Okay, I'll see you later. Oh, uh, yeah, you know? you're, you're like wrong there's guy. things, right, there's right. Things.
1: I just, I just like you know there's, there's soldiers and it's just uh, yeah, it's a very scary uh, time in Europe. <laughs> it's in certain countries, you know what I mean.
0: Oh, when, he, when you see a fourteen year old with a an Uzi and he's in right. control, yeah, that does scare you. Yeah?
1: That's what I'm saying, right? Um, yeah. So uh, you're at you're at Cowie in '79 and you win more races than Graham, but the bike, you're back to the Cowie bike problem. Again, that you thought you left in uh seventy seventy three, but uh um uh and so then and then uh you're a couple years in at Cowie, and then you're on Suzuki and that's where you eventually win your world title coming through. Um I want to get to that world title season in a bit here, but was there any point, Brad, in this ten year quest uh for a world title where it got hard where you want, you said, I'd I'm fed up with it. The, the, politics, the bureaucracy, the, the bike problems. Um, I mean, were there times where you were like, I, I just want to throw a towel and go back to America? Or was it just, you know, just a, 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 determined quest to get this world title or how, how, how close did you ever come to turning around?
0: You know, um, not because of riding or the bike really ever. The, the, politics and the bullshit you know because mm-hmm. you don't sign up for that you know Right. and then you know, you're going to win a race or you do win a race and then you get cheated out of it because of some bullshit like that I mean that stuff is what weighs on you know because you right. can't change that you yeah. know you can't go train harder you can't work on the bike more you can't do anything to fix that and that that does bother you you know and that's something like I said Villapoto probably won't have to worry about because the sponsor title is his sponsor. So
2: yeah. no matter what
0: happens, he's going to win in any confrontation of anything like that. If there's a points dispute or a, or anything, you know, he's going to come out ahead, which is, you know, good yeah. for him, but yeah. it wasn't like that back then. No. Um, so, you know, I don't think we ever talked about ever leaving, you know, mm-hmm. I think what we talked about was after we won, where were we going to go back, you know? Right. And that was, that was something we talked about, but that was about it. Would
1: you uh, – you would obviously go back to California, NorCal, uh, for the for the winter and all that before the season. How how long would you stay in Europe for?
0: Well, every year, nine years out of those ten years, I would leave for Europe on January 1st. Okay. And, and be in Belgium or wherever I was based out mm-hmm. of, mostly Belgium, and ride – international races and and test the bike and do development for those four months before the gps and then do the four gps and other than coming home for you united states or canada mm-hmm. that was basically the only time i'd come home until august so you know in january through august i'd be there you know through right. the winter which was you know pretty tough and then um the last year because we were developing the Simon's forks and some other products on the uh, on the bike, yeah, we we chose not to go to Europe early and ride all those nasty frozen races and all that stuff, and we stayed home and rode the Golden State series and developed the Simon's forks here in the states. Because Steve, you know, he's from up north here yeah. too, so. We, you know, had to be close by him to make changes and get everything right and uh we shipped the bike over and we didn't show up till the week before the first Grand Prix. So we did it completely different the last season. Now I you know, I don't know if that really made that much difference. It made a lot of difference in development of those forks and those forks made a lot of difference in winning the championship, but mm-hmm. uh you know, that was that was a different a different ploy just to Yeah, just to switch it up. Yeah, come in a little bit more refreshed and uh you know, and, and have our bike a little bit more dialed in.
1: Uh, let's take a quick break here on the uh, BTO BTOsports.com RacerX podcast presented by Fox Racing. And use the code Pulpamax when you're checking out at B, at BTO sports.com and foxhead.com for the latest, greatest Fox gear. Uh, listen to this Racetech commercial to save yourself money at Racetech. There's a... Pulpamex 2014 code you can use to save yourself money at Racetech to get suspension. Speaking of Simons, Forks, and all that, um, these guys are Race Tech now, and I'm sure Paul Feed was around when the Simons was, uh, was the stuff to run. And we'll take a quick commercial break here with Brad Lackey, and we'll be right back after this. BTO Sports.com RacerX podcast presented by Fox Racing. Hey, I want to talk about Privateers and what they choose for suspension. Yeah, that's right. Some of the top privateers, most of the top privateers out there choose race Tech. Long been supporting the world's fastest privateer since 1984. Michael Leeb, Vince Fries, Chris Blows, Cody Gilmore, and many other guys uh, choose uh, race Tech suspension, and they've been a long, around a long time, and their, their work stands for itself. Don't forget, people, at least uh, change your oil in your new bike and use race Tech to do it. Some of that stock oil isn't that good. Uh, RaceTech's is the world's largest aftermarket motorcycle suspension modification company. 30 years they've been supplying racers, riders, and tuners with the industry's best suspension products. Paul Fee, the owner of Race Tech, one of the smartest guys out there. And uh, the creators of the do-it-yourself gold valve kit. It's a revalve in a box. Racetech.com for a full listing of suspension parts, tools, and information. Racetech. Go there. Make your bike handle better. Do it. Racedeck.com. Thanks for listening. And we're back on the BTOSports.com RacerX podcast, presented by Fox Racing, with Bad Brad Lackey. Um, when you uh, when you won, um, well, actually, I guess first of all, how'd you get along with the Coster? H- how was your relationship with Roger and all that?
0: I mean, he was um, the... It was great. Roger, you know, helped me more than any other of the Europeans. Uh, when we oh, first okay. came over in 73, we didn't know uh, where to stay or have a house or anything. I lived with Roger at his house oh, wow. for the first season. And then uh, we ended up renting a house in his town, so we were close to him. I trained with him and had lunch and dinners with him. And, you know, Roger's oh, cool. my best buddy. So you still we see him? At... As, we were just having. 70th birthday party the other day. Don't tell anybody he's 70 because nobody yeah, would know, but I know. Um, that was great. It was fun.
1: Oh, so you came down for that. You came down here yeah. for that. Oh, wow, that's cool. That's good to hear. Um, uh, you. Uh, so that's good. So Roger was, I mean, obviously, you know, he was a big reason why the Americans uh, got good at the motocross nations and things like that. He was a big part of that, and he, he helped shape the Honda bikes and the Honda over here. But it sounds like he always had an open, open uh, arms for American riders. If
0: he was buddies with you for that, for that long. Oh yeah, no, he yeah. He, he he cares about the development of the sport and seeing, you know, in America what potential there was. That's why he came. You know, I mm-hmm. mean, first time he probably came because he got paid or something. But then after that, you know, he made friends here and he came to that Trans Am mm-hmm. after a whole long season, just like I said, from January to August of GPs and this and that to come to the Trans Am and, you know, still put on a good show and see everybody mm-hmm. and let them see him. And, you know, he has, a, he has roots in California, and, you know, he's, he's a, yeah. about the sport, not just about racing or just about being a team manager.
1: So uh, you switched to Suzuki in 81, um, and in 82 you win the, you win the world title. You're, you, you go up against your teammate, Andrew Romans um in 82 he's a belgium guy really good in the sand what was that like with i mean i don't know who owned your team or how that went obviously he's a belgian guy and some people wanted him to win i imagine and and was there any uh tomfoolery stuff going on back then
0: (laughs) oh there was a lot i already got fired in 81 from suzuki (laughs) oh you did okay and and then uh actually kind of blackmailed him into keeping me but um (laughs) They uh, they did hire, after my 81 season, that was the worst GP season I had out of all my 10 years. I, I broke my fir- foot in an early uh, mm-hmm. early race in the ice and snow and somewhere, I forget where, Belgium, probably. And so I had a broken foot going into the season, and I, I only won one Grand Prix out of the whole year, and, and I finished sixth, which that's the only year that I ever went down, you know, mm-hmm. so. Um, so they want to get rid of me. Cause I, I, you know, also talked about the bike a little bit because Suzuki, you know, since Roger, they had not been in the 500 championships at 75.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So, you know, they basically gave us a 1975 Roger Suzuki with new stickers on it. Yeah. And I said, dudes, this, this is not happening. You guys yeah. don't, realize what has happened in five years in the 500 class. You know, no, they're no longer running 370s. They're running full 500, two right. strokes, and da-da-da-da-da. And, you know, they didn't like anything I had to say, and I had a bad season. So they went, okay, well, you're fired. And I went, <laughs> okay. I you're went, not... come on, really? Just because I bad your bike? Right. To you, I didn't do it in public. I did it to them. Yeah, know? yeah. Anyway, so they said, well, no, you you – I said, well, my contract's pretty good because I didn't have a manager. I always made my own right, contract. Right. I, I kind of learned early from Patty DeSoto how to do that. And um, so I said, well, you know you're going to have to pay me. Right. And, and I go, yeah, yeah, we're going to pay you. I said, so you're going to pay me two hundred twenty-five <laughs> or $250,000 to lay by the pool in California. they mm-hmm. go, yeah. And I said, well, why would you do that? And I said, well... Right then we don't have to buy a mechanic buy a truck, buy bikes, I'll save us five hundred thousand <laughs> I went, hmm okay that that sounds kind of fishy to me <laughs> right, yeah, but anyway, so uh so they did it though so they, I, yeah well, no, I didn't quit i I said, no, I still got one year left in me, and i I'm pretty sure that if I get this bike ride, I could win, you know, yeah, so uh. I said, well, I'll tell you what. I just talked to Kawasaki, and they offered me 250000 and they're going to give me a bike, and I'm going to take your 250000 and take their 250000 <laughs> and And whoever, whatever young kid you hire, which was Romans at the time, I didn't know that. Right. I didn't know who it was. I said, and I guarantee you my mission in life will be to beat that person.
2: <laughs> and I
0: don't care about the championship. I only care about beating whoever you hire because then – <laughs> when you go back to the factory, and they say, why did you pay the guy $250,000 to beat our guy? Right, right. <laughs> and I said, remember those swords? <laughs> yeah. Jeez, so, that's funny. So they went, yeah. okay, okay, hang on. Everything right. back to normal. <laughs> <laughs> we I went, ah, back to normal. Back to, okay. Right, right. well, so but, anyway, then... And long story short, I don't want to go through this whole story, but it's a lot more complicated than that. But then I figured they are going to give Roman factory stuff and give me production stuff and then he'll win. It'll make me look bad. Everything will be just like they want. And I said, okay, amendment to the contract. I have to have full factory equipment just like any other Suzuki rider. So they signed that and they went, oh, you're very clever. Because they were planning (laughs) on doing that. And so – I got the same stuff, and they once they tell you they're going to do something and find it, they'll do it. So I got the full factory equipment just like Romans, but they did want Romans to win, to make them be right in their decision. So it was still my goal to beat Romans, and it happens to be that while we had this little fight, Suzuki got first and second in the world championship, (laughs) won the manufacturers championship, won every GP that there was except for maybe one, Mm -hmm. and you know they're the winners of the whole. Dispute, you know. Yeah, so it yeah. Worked out for everybody. You
1: know? And they were still winning 125 world titles too. And they had Gabor's, I think, in uh, 250. Yeah, Gabor's yeah. won the
0: 125, and that damn Laporte kid screwed up the 250. Yeah, because huh? Joe Bay, yeah. right?
1: Yeah, he he beat <laughs> Joe Bay. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. Wow. So the yeah. So a lot of, lot of things. So when you put on the Simon's upside down stuff, are they, are they telling you you can't do that? Are they okay with that?
0: That's fine. Oh, no. No, they ain't. I had a couple little things that were on the bike, and that was one of them. And uh, right. Yeah, they said, no, take it off. And I said, wait a minute, slow down. This was at the first Grand Prix. And uh, I said, check the practice times. What's the practice times? Oh, lackey son, you're number one. I yeah. go, yeah. And you want me to change the bike and take that off and take that off? Right. If I take that off, then I'm not number one. Then we don't win. I said, do you want to win or do you want to lose? And they say, oh, no, we lose. I said, well. You can lose, but not me. Sorry. So I left everything on there, and that's, you know, that, that was, right. I was already fired a year before, so it didn't make any difference to me. I knew I was fired at the end of that year, so.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You knew you were out. Was the, uh, was the Hondas, I mean, for many, many years, Hondas, especially in the 500 class, their, their bikes were so good. In the early 80s, 1982, 1981, were they still as good? Were they still superior bikes? Like, how was the Suzuki itself? Do you feel?
0: Well, you know, like in 79 when Graham won, if I would have mm-hmm. stayed on Honda, I wouldn't have broke down and I would have won the championship that year. But right. my Kawasaki, which we developed, the Unitrack, it was a brand new first year with that Unitrack and stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, I still won more races. I could beat them when it didn't break. So mm-hmm. regardless of how good the Hondas were, a prototype Kawasaki could be factory fact that Honda had been in the field for a few years. So
2: yeah,
0: okay. they weren't that much better. And then in the... uh in the years of 81, the Hondas were superior because the Suzuki had, like I said, been five years behind in development. Yeah. But yeah. once once we had it one season, you know, I got it up to par and it was Honda beatable and we won the championship and, you know, did that that way. So, mm-hmm. you know, the Hondas were still very, very good. And at this point, I think Honda probably let their riders adjust their bikes a little bit to fit themselves or before they didn't, you know.
1: Right. How many GPs did you win in 82?
0: Oh, I don't think it was a lot, yeah. um, um, probably three or four, mm-hmm. but I was in the top three every other race and then yeah. top five one time or something when something went wrong with some shocks or something. I, I broke down one moto. I broke an O lean shaft in half. And when I was winning the GP in Canada, if I would have won that race, then I would have had a 25 point lead going into Europe and it would have just been a cakewalk, but right. I was losing that moto and Roman's winning, I lost, uh, uh, 25 points or whatever the point structure um, was at the time. Me being, that uh, put it, me being, that kept, put us, go ahead. Sorry. That put us uh, going back to Europe, England, now and Luxembourg, very close in points because we tied at points at England. I won the GP, but we all got the same point. Yeah. He beat me by a couple places in Namir just because it was in Belgium. I was cautious and I knew that at Luxembourg, I had an advantage because I, I, the track, I'm better at that track. So, you know, we just had to be safe and stay away from the spectators, and we kind of put Graham in that position, and <laughs> yeah. you saw what happened there. So.
1: How many points did you have going into the last, at Luxembourg? How many points did you have?
0: I oh. think I won by six, but I think it was four points. Uh, I had a lead of four points going oh. in there. So whoever beat, yep. if, I, if he beat me or I beat him, it would be the difference. It had to be like that, yeah.
1: Me, uh, me being Canadian, born and raised, was the GP at Hopetown, or was it Motopark, or where was it back then? Cop-
0: was it well 82 i i'm not sure originally in the 70s it was a Town, but oh, hell um, yeah. okay and in, in 82 it was uh, san gabriel or something oh like, yes
1: in know. quebec yeah yeah right i got i see some photos yeah, from that
0: yeah. um right
1: man i wish canadian
0: it was a beautiful grass track. It was great. I won the first moto, and I was leading the second one with two hops to go, and my shock broke, and it just really changed the whole final of the series in 82. It just put so much more pressure on everything where it would have been just done, and I would have had to break down and not even finish right. a moto for him to win, and it just changed the whole outcome of those last three GPs.
1: My childhood hero growing up, Ross Rollerball-Peterson.
0: I got some photos. Oh, Ross. Yeah, I got some photos of him.
1: Yeah. yeah, I got some photos from him from that race. That's right, San Gabriel. Um so, the story is in one of the motos at Luxembourg, Vermonts went the wrong way. I, I just this is motocross action history, so it could be wrong. But
0: uh, well, if Jody if Jody wrote it, it's definitely wrong about me. But <laughs> <laughs> did you not? Um, did you not get along with Jody? Oh, Jody didn't like me much. I don't know why. Uh, maybe because I don't know why. But uh, that's beside the point. Let me tell you the Roman story. Yeah, yeah. Um, um. At Luxembourg, there is a giant hill, an uphill that's very gnarly, and it's not real wide, and it's all rocky, and it's, it's got a cliff on one side and a rock face on the other side, so it's not good for the first lap with everybody together to go that way, so they have a start down mm-hmm. in a grassy field and goes around a couple corners, and then normally it would go up that hill, but for the start, they put a little one little ribbon banner across there and you turn left and go around the base of the hill and then catch it on the backside right where it yeah. comes down. Right, And it's been like that for 20 years and mm-hmm. 50 years or whatever. Right. And, uh, the second moto after Romans, after I beat him in the first moto, after he had a 25 second lead, I came from behind and passed him on the last lap and, and beat him. I got second. He got third or whatever. Carl close yeah. lean, which we didn't, yeah. we didn't care about that at that point. But, um, um, the second moto, he was so frazzled because he had the win and I had mm-hmm. to get now someplace back in the pack somewhere for him to win the championship. He got the whole shot and then forgetting that you're supposed to go around that hill, he started to go that way and and like I said, it was just yeah. one little piece of you know, ribbon or banner and he uh realized that and he slid down and he crashed because he knew he was going the wrong way. He just braked too hard, and he got back up <laughs> and got back into the pack in, like, fifth or sixth or seventh or ninth yeah, in yeah. the top ten yeah. something, right. So, yeah, he made a mistake. He lost the whole shot, but he was still in the hunt right out the gate. The first three turns, he was in the top ten. So, yep. you know, that really meant nothing to the overall if, if you well, can't come from the tenth position on the first lap in 45 minutes to win a race, then you're not going to win, you know? Well,
1: the fact that you caught him and passed him late, you know, in the first moto, too, kind of tells you you were on your game. Like you said, you liked the track. You knew you could beat him there. Um, yeah,
0: so second moto, I just rode around and kept him three or four places did, behind me, and that was all I had to do.
1: So. Did you get along with him, Andre? Was he a nice guy? Was he?
0: Yeah, no, yeah. no, he's a good guy. I yeah. mean, you know, we just rode for the same team but separate factories <laughs> yeah yeah right separate deals um yeah so you know we didn't spend much time together we didn't train together or we didn't spend any social time together but you know he was a nice mm-hmm. guy he never rode dirty he rode right you know and and you know me too so we never had any problems you know that would be the only way you have problems like me and maller he's you know he's dirty ass rider and yeah
1: what you know, happened so there
0: problems with those guys
1: what happened to you and mallard what 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 he's just dirty he just didn't like the
0: way he rode yeah, I mean, he took me out in '80 in the first turn intentionally, and it cost me the championship in 1980. You know, stuff like that. Yep. Stuff that will kind of piss you off,
1: you know. Right, right. Um, did you? Who won the world title first? You were Danny. Was it, you were a week ahead of,
0: or was he a week ahead of you? How'd that work? Uh, see if you talk to, if you talk to Jody, he will spin that and say Danny won. But okay. In reality, I won two weeks before.
1: All right, um, and so. L- Either way, America from not having any world titles has two in one year is remarkable. Um,
0: yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I I never really had much time to pay attention to Danny's uh, yeah. progress in the fifty championship. Other than, until the end, I knew he was in the hunt and could win. And uh, he was at Luxembourg actually when I won because oh, he had a cool. week off.
2: Yep. Yeah. Oh.
0: And so he got the he got to see that, and then uh, then uh, I wasn't in Europe when he won, but. Uh, yeah, it was great for America that year. And so, they won the Motocross and Trophy Nations also. So
1: Yeah, um, did you, like, and even Jim Palmer was doing 250s, right, when you were doing 500s for, for a few years. You never, yeah. I guess it was like people don't realize it was three separate GPs in three separate countries. Um, did you ever, you know, talk to Jim much or Danny at all? Was there much interaction?
0: No, I no. mean, with Jimmy, we kind of lived together at some point in Belgium. and But, you know, race-wise, yep. unless we were at an inter- international race, we never saw each other because they run different countries on the same weekends usually. Mm-hmm. And Danny, you know, I never saw him until he came to Luxembourg.
1: So, oh, okay. Yeah. All right. So there wasn't this sort of like, hey, yip, 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 hooray, or whatever. There wasn't, yeah. wasn't any
0: of that. But Danny and Danny and Graham are going to meet me in Italy, like I said, in about a week, and oh, maybe don't... Roger, too. So we're all going to have a little uh, wine together and talk about all this stuff.
1: What was it like for you, Brad, 10 years running, uh, all the obstacles, all the bullshit stuff that happened and you crossed the finish line and you've done it. You're world champion. Was it, uh, was it more relief maybe than anything, <laughs> than, than happiness? Was it more like I finally did it after coming so close?
0: Well, you know, the last lap of that second moto, you know, I still had to finish, you know, I couldn't, uh, not finish cause then the points with a you know, mm-hmm. they were too close. Um, I thought, okay, if it breaks down here, I can push it and make it. Okay, if it breaks down here, <laughs> yeah, I can, I can carry it. It, and right. make it. If it breaks down here, that's what I thought about the whole lap. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, when I crossed the line, uh, uh, little Gabor's was there, and he sprained champagne on me. And, oh, and cool. actually, the the whole crowd, uh, you know, it's, it's sixty thousand in Luxembourg, you know, for the race. And they for ten years they've been beating on me, wanting right. me not to win. And this time, after. Uh, the the ride I had in the first moto by catching Romans with a 27 second lead um, and passing them, you know, then they kind of said, all right, the guy deserves the win. And everybody kind of got on my team. I kind of got 60,000 fans in one day or one moto.
1: Wow. That's cool.
0: Yeah, it was really cool. So, you know, everybody was happy that I won. And so that's what really amazed me, that, okay, now I'm not fighting them for this championship. I'm Now they're on my team. And mm-hmm. that was pretty amazing. I was very, they're, very excited about that.
1: They're coming at you after you, and you're like, don't break my arms, don't break my arms. <laughs> yeah, yeah, kind of. They're
0: all lifting me up, and right, trying right. to steal my helmet and, you know, all that stuff. You know, that yeah.
1: was good. Yeah, no, it's, that's awesome. It's it's so it's so great to, to finally had you have you win. You know what I mean? I mean, can you imagine, Brad, if you'd done all this and you never won? Like what your sort of career or mindset
0: might be? You might be a little bitter. You might be, you know, a bitter guy. I don't know. I I don't really know. You know, I I know I wouldn't be as happy with myself. I know that. Yeah. uh, Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, winning a national championship is okay, but you know, if I would have stayed home, I would have won, you know, multiples. Yeah. uh, You know, and would that make any difference if I won one U.S. Championship or three or four like Gary Jones, would I feel any different? I don't think I would, but I think I would feel a lot different if I didn't win the World Championship.
1: Now, so as you've detailed, as you've chronicled, you were out at Suzuki, win or lose. Those guys were over you, and you were over them. But you win the title. I mean, was there any talk of, uh, of, of you coming back with the number one plate for them or with anybody? I mean, we know now you never defended your title. You hung it up, but... Was it close to coming back, or were you? I mean, again, I'm going with Motorcross action history here, Brad. So I apologize, yeah, but um, yeah. you know that the, the what what I've read is just you wanted crazy money and no one wanted to pay you. But how did it go down?
0: No, no that that was not the fact. I mean, the money was maybe a little bit more, but uh, oh yeah, you won the title though. So the, yeah. the the situation was at that time. Remember how we just got through this recession? Yeah. At that time, 82 and 83, we had the same recession as yeah. we just went through. Yeah. Yeah. So the factories were not spending money. Uh, Honda had a full boat of riders, mm-hmm. and they kept that team. <laughs> Yamaha had one rider, Carl Quist, out mm-hmm. of Amsterdam distributor. Kawasaki had one rider, Thorpe, out of the England distributorship. distributor. The factories were spending no money. Suzuki quit. Yeah, because you know they they planned on quitting, win or lose. I think, but now they beat Honda and they won the 125, 250 manufacturers. You know they won everything. So when they went and played golf, Mister Honda and Mister Suzuki, <laughs> he got to go neater neater, and right.
2: they were happy with
0: that. And so the all the factories were no options. You know because mm-hmm. Yamaha, had no money. Honda had a full team of ex champions and champions, mm-hmm. and uh, and Suzuki quit. So okay, what's left? There's KTM, yep, and there's yep. some Italian guys, and and this and that. So, yep. I went, okay, what's my chances of winning, keeping the title mm-hmm. on a KTM at that time, or a Delera, or whatever, you know? Yep. And it's pretty weak, you know. Yeah, so I'm thinking, all right, I'm not going to win because I'm going to have bad equipment, or I'll be developing a bike again, you know, for a whole season. So, yep. um, I said, all right, so pay me a million dollars which at the time, you know, I was getting paid $250,000, you know, so it wasn't that far of a stretch and <laughs> with bonuses and stuff, you know, I made over, you know, 500,000. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, it's a million bucks, big deal. And, uh, and I, and like I said, me and Lori sat down and thought about that. And I said, all right, so what's the deal? What are we going to go back and do this again? Or how about we charge a million bucks and nobody will take us up on the offer mm-hmm. and we, we can quit. And she goes, okay, so it's a million, right? Nothing less. And I said, yeah, that's what it's going to be. If right. I don't get paid that, I'm not going to go. So anyway, we cruise around. I go to KTM and test ride a bike and talk to them a little bit. And then uh, then the Italian guys, they go, okay, we want you to develop our bike, Chilera mm-hmm. or whatever it was at the time, and uh, we'll pay you $750,000. And I came home to Laura and I said, I got an offer today. She goes, oh, I got 750 dollars from those guys. Mm-hmm. She looked at me and she goes, That's not a million. <laughs> <laughs> but you're and like, Yeah, but pretty it's pretty much it. pretty close. It's
1: close. <laughs> yeah. Um Um, so that was it. Yeah, it was uh, uh you were done. Um did you think well, about
0: I, I rode the USGP. Right, I rode one right. GP with yep. the number one plate. So, you know, yep. I, I retired the number one plate. I'm the only guy to ever do that. So Yeah, for I don't sure. Know that's a if that's a, a good thing or a bad thing, but I did present it in America for the one time that it was here.
1: Yeah, you went like five, six, or something on a Yamaha. Um, yeah, on
0: a, on a production bike. Right. It wasn't bad outing, you know. Yeah. Um, after, after being off for a year, you know, I wasn't in oh. great shape, and I had a production bike, so you know.
1: So, um, so really, it sounds like nothing for eighty-three really materialized. I mean, you got that offer, but it never. I mean, you were fine, just walking away,
0: because I mean, yeah, I that was kind of. That was kind of the plan. I but, was thinking about maybe putting a team together and riding in the states and some nationals, but then that kind of went away quickly because it was a recession. Nobody had any money.
1: Yeah, yeah, it was it was a tough time. Gas prices were through the. There was a gas shortage at some point, and yeah, it was a tough time in Amer- jobs. Jobs. Uh, jobless rate in America was was pretty high back then. Yeah, um, I mean
0: it was the worst time in the world to look for a ride, basically. Yeah, um,
1: yeah, and and and, and so the USGP at Carlsbad. Um, did what did you think? Were you happy? Was that was that a good was a good a good way to kind of go out your last race?
0: You know, I was hoping to do a little bit better. Yeah, um, actually, I was doing a lot of testing on the ATK. Yeah, yeah, and I was planning on riding that there, but uh, at the last minute, it needed some changes that the guy that owned the company couldn't afford to do. He needed to change the frame and get it higher off the ground and you know i had faster practice times on that atk than i did on the yamaha yeah and i I wanted to race it there but it just uh that he couldn't make the changes and without making those changes i knew i'd be handicapped so i I, the yamaha i kind of was as my backup plan i was testing that against the atk and times and stuff to see yeah. really where where that bike was you know as far as getting around that track and uh and so, you know, last minute, I had to switch to the Yamaha, which I wasn't really prepared on, and the bike wasn't much more than a production bike with a, you know, with some good forks and a shock or something, yeah. you know. So, yeah. and you know, Carlquist won that GP on a factory bike, and you know that was good. You know, I dialed with, it, raced with him a little bit, and mm-hmm. you know, like I said, I was a year out of shape and a bi- unfamiliar bike that was production. Yeah. I, you know, I, you know, I would like to got third instead of fourth or fifth, but you know, right,
1: um. Hey, do, we have, do you have a little bit more time? or I, I know I, talk, I said about an hour. i got a few more stuff to talk yeah, about. Yeah,
0: no, I just, I just had to do something. There.
1: Okay. Um, um, so after that, you you got into the motocross school business. You did some stunts. You actually came up and taught a motocross school where I live. I was too young to take it. Damn you, Brad. I think you had an age limit. I was too little. But my brother <laughs> took it, and I was hanging out all day. It was at Austin, Manitoba in the sand track. But uh oh yeah. So you came up and you did some motocross schools and 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 how would you get into stunt work and stuff?
0: Um a guy that um uh, is a northern california guy was the top stunt guy in the business at the time and uh and one of the other guys that uh was a motorcycle guy, mm-hmm. he was a stunt coordinator in hollywood and so they got a hold of me and wanted to know if I wanted to do a a a CBS movie, some stunt work on it with a bunch of racing involved. So I said, sure. So I went to mm-hmm. Texas and and met this guy, and uh, and then he immediately he he's from NorCal, so he knew all my career and stuff. So he immediately told everybody in the business that I was his cousin. So from then on, every time he got a job, which he was a top stunt guy, and they had to have him, he says, Well, I'm not hiring signing on unless you hire my cousin Brad, and he's on too. So yeah, yeah. I, I worked. I worked for, you know, almost 20 years on all the big movies yeah. with every big star, you name it, you know, now. for doing, you know, other than motorcycle stuff, but a lot of the motorcycle stuff and then, yeah. you know, fight scenes and this and that. And they kind of at that time. Like I said, you know, it was a bad time economy, economy, and I didn't have any skill set to have a regular job. And I was thirty something years old. Yeah, I you're know still how young. To swing a hammer or be a carpenter. <laughs> I raced my whole life, right. so I didn't have a lot of options. So I took those jobs and got some money and uh, had some fun. And that's basically what I did, you know, from the, from eighty five on for maybe twenty years or so there. Um, I.
1: Uh... One of the things I got, I, it was filmed in 81 or 82, but I was watching a movie called First Blood, and there's this big epic uh, car bike scene, and Stallone says they got a, a world champion to to ride the bike. I guess it wasn't you, though.
0: No, it wasn't in that. Okay. I I've never worked with him right. I mean, everybody else, but not Stallone. So what was
1: kind of the coolest thing you did in stunts in the movies? What was, uh, or you know, anything that people would find interesting well, as far as?
0: You know, I'm hanging out with Arnold and... Uh, Russell Crowe and Denzel, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, um, and uh, Kurt Russell, and all those guys. I mean, they're all kind of characters, so that's kind of fun. But yeah. um, I don't know, the biggest, I, I mean, the biggest, I, I played Michael Douglas's double in the game with Sean Penn. You oh, yeah. See that one?
1: Yeah,
0: yeah, great. Yeah, I was great. a guy in the taxi that went off the. Oh, okay. Jacket. So, anyway, you know, and I was, they had me dressed like. Douglas, mm-hmm. and you know, a little makeup and the haircut, the same, and they really thought I was him when I went into like the, the catering area yeah, yeah. or the or the hairdresser whatever. Yeah, they go, "Oh, Mike, man, you're looking a little tired because I got droopy eyes in him." I guess. Yeah, I go, "Oh man, yeah, I was up all night. San Francisco's so crazy," and they thought <laughs> I was Michael Douglas, and I'm telling all these wild, crazy bullshit stories. Yeah, yeah. you know. And then the next day it's in the tabloids. <laughs> oh, <laughs> and I'm yeah. Going, Unbelievable. Yeah. That's, That's awesome. But I did look like him a lot at the time, I guess.
1: I've talked to Jim Hawley and Rich Taylor, a couple of guys who do a lot of bike stunts uh, in movies, yeah. and, and Dave Castile. Yeah. And they. They've told me about some stuff that were like, I mean, they're professional motocross racers, just like you. Stuff that they had to do that kind of freaked them out. That was a little scary. Did you, did you have any any stunt where you were like, "Whoa, I know I've almost got my arm broken and in Luxembourg," but that stunt is is scary. Was there anything like that for
0: you? Oh yeah, the very first gig I was on, they went, they they took the professional guy. They did a cable off. You know what that is? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, so anyway, they tire cables yeah, to the front to. forks, and then you go wah, flat out, and then the thing stops, and you right. go flying over the bar. So the professional guy broke his collarbone on that stunt, and they wanted to redo it. So they okay, Lackey, you're up. I go, no, Lackey's not up. <laughs> other guys <laughs> are up. That's what they're here for. I'm here to be pretty and do some r- cross-ups. I'm not here to yeah. kill myself. So, right. uh, you know, I almost, I basically got fired from the first job that I was on because of that. But then after that, you know, I did some. I did a Harley cop bike lay down in uh, Village of the Dam, and I did some big Harley crashes on Escape from L.A. So you know, those were okay. You know, you fly yeah. the big Harley down and blow up, and a, the guy hits the pyro when you crash into the building of the tent. So you know, you know, I shot my arm off. I got a scar on one arm from the Uzi fell down and oh. went on my arm, across my arm, and you know, they don't shoot bullets, but they still shoot fire. You know, yeah, so, yeah. A few things like that, but the first one, the cable off thing that I turned down was the one was... that probably would have hurt me, and I didn't want to do,
1: so <laughs> yeah, you're like, oh uh, yeah, I'm out um yeah, hey, uh quickly, uh we'll get to some uh questions from just general questions from the guy that's man you've you've uh you've had quite a life. that's awesome um favorite g p track ever,
0: yeah, you got to go with the ones you win because that <laughs> means you liked it or you at least did pretty good. Um, you know that's that's a hard one. You know, Farley Castle in England is a grass track. I'm a grass guy. Yeah. And Luxembourg's a grass track, and that's why I won the championship. And Sittendorf is basically a grass track, but yeah. very up and down. So I would say probably Farley Castle because I won it the most. I won it three or four times, oh, maybe three years in a row. And you know, and it's on the Fourth of July in England, so that kind of. Is, Mm-hmm. a special deal, too. So was, I would say Farley because it's all grass and natural, and they don't touch it for a year at a time, you know. And
1: I think just, I saw – was Farley the one that off the start goes straight up a hill and back down a real big grassy hill?
0: No, it's a flat straightaway oh. with a left turn around a tree.
1: Oh, okay. All right. And then look, Maybe hockstone. Yeah, maybe I'm getting it mixed up. And then is Farley the one that had kind of wood things going down a hill, like wood little stairs or something?
0: I saw a okay. uh, no, there's there's a down here with steps, but uh no, it's Okay. You know. Um uh who
1: was who was the faster rider? Roger DeCoster or Heike Mikola? Who was the better
0: rider? Better, faster, those are different questions already.
1: Okay, all right.
0: E- either way. Uh, yeah. I mean Roger was more precise and probably faster, Heike was in better shape and more determined, if that makes sense.
1: <laughs> yeah, I know. It does perfectly. Um, yeah. uh What was the best
0: bike you ever rode? You know, I think um, my 80 Cowie that we built was probably mm-hmm. the best GP bike.
1: Yeah, okay. Uh, what was the worst bike? Your 73 Cowie? <laughs> <laughs>
0: No, actually, you know, it wasn't that bad. Um it was just the circumstances. Um worst bike, oh boy. Probably the prototype 250 Kawasaki's that I rode that uh uh supercross on.
2: <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: Um, they were just street, street bike motors that they put into a frame and you know, that's I mean <laughs> at that time that's you know, they didn't even have a motorcycle company at the time. They were just building stuff, you know. What was your best race ever?
1: Where was it? Was there a day where you were just untouchable? Is there anything that comes to mind?
0: Well, you know, there's those days that you win easily that, you know, you don't even think about, and mm-hmm. they don't seem like work. Yeah, there's a, a few of those, but I would have to say the first moto in Luxembourg, because we had a, a specific plan, and I knew the spectators were going to get involved, and mm-hmm. I couldn't afford that, so yeah. I had to let Romans win the race or lead the race and me be way back. So, um the whole plan of that day was to, we, we had a chart. We knew exactly how much time I could make up on any rider at the end of a 45 minute moto.
2: Oh yeah. Yeah. Really?
0: Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. We had a complete graph and uh, depending on who was leading, we, we knew exactly how many seconds I can make up per lap on any rider in the field. So Romans numbers were six or seven seconds or something mm-hmm. per lap at the end of a 45 minute race. Cause they're tired and I'm not tired. So, yeah. Um, we let Bromans get 27 seconds lead on me with five laps to go <laughs> it's really and I, caught him and, pa- and I caught him and passed him. You
1: really broke this so down. I would say that
0: was, that was probably my best race.
1: And when it really counted too, right?
0: Well, yeah. I mean, that was the whole right. point of all that graphing and yeah. figuring out and psyching and putting Graham in the way of the, of the broken arm and me not, right. you know?
1: Hey, was, was there any chance you were going to be on the eighty-one or eighty-two destinations teams? Were you ever contacted? I mean, were you ever
0: thought about? It? I mean, I know it was an oh, all yeah. Honda deal, and Roger kind of put together, but no. AMA didn't like me much because I went to Europe. I guess I don't know why, but mm-hmm. um, I was, I was, I was the instigator. Of actually, put together the first real team, the mm-hmm. seventy-two team. With Pomeroy, Me, Jones, and Hartwig, and mm-hmm. we got seventh in the sand, and and Holland, which wasn't a bad no. performance for for a bunch of kids, and yeah. then uh, and then we got second in 74 at Sweden to the host team that won in Sweden, which that was our home track, and we kind of beat. Alberg and and those guys on their home track but you know we got second and you know in 74 so yeah and then after that 75 i think i might have rode uh the two a trophy or something i have a gold i mean a bronze medal here from one of those but uh
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, yeah i have a silver one from the 74 and a bronze i think from the 250 so out of the three motocross trophy nations that i rode i got podiums two out of three so yeah we right. did okay but they never ever asked me to go no
1: okay Um, Well, obviously we know about DeCosta and we know about Mikola and these guys, but was there a European rider that maybe we don't know that much about uh, over here in America um, that maybe you think should get more respect from uh, the media, the press, the fans, somebody who was, you know, a really great rider?
0: Yeah, but they're old guys that, you know, nobody knows. Like who? (laughs) I mean, like uh, Arnie Kring. I mean, you know, he... Oh, yeah, you're right. I don't know that. And, and Sylvain DeVores. I mean, Sylvain, without yeah. Joel, <laughs> Sylvain would be five, six times world champion. He oh. just happened to be there when there was a Joel there, you know? you got to think <laughs> about the years when he gets this. Yeah. It's like over here, say, Villopoto. If he checked out, Millsaps would be five times champ, you know? Or or the, or the
1: classic example is Wyndham versus Ricky, you know, uh, Wyndham. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah, exactly. So, you know, those guys just haven't the year that there happens to be the dominant guy, you know, you know, it doesn't mean they're second best. It just means, man, they got, a, they have a bad year that just happens to be that guy's good year, you know? Right.
1: Hey, when you were done with the, when the world title and everything, were you able to walk away with a good chunk of money? Or is it it, uh, you know, did you, were you able to put some away and, and you know, and, and be well, okay? It well, was,
0: it was right there, at, like I said, yeah. when we talked about that recession, right? Yeah. yeah. So at that time, when I quit and everything, I owned 20 properties in Walnut Creek and oh, okay. Northern California and, yep. and had just set up for everything working out pretty good the rest of my career, the rest of my life. And then that economy hit and I lost every one of them Jeez! because, uh, you know, it was, yep. nobody could pay rent right. and I had them, you know, I owned them cheap and I was just making the payments and, and waiting for them to appreciate and all that and of everything course, fell right. on the ground. Uh, interest rates were seventeen percent couldn't make any payments, uh, so I lost everything that I had. Put all my money in. So I would love to say I hoarded and drank it away, but I <laughs> tried to be responsible and lost my ass. So.
1: I know, right? You did the right yeah. thing, and it still it still didn't go well. That you know? killed me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, hey, I think, I think we're good. Uh, I want to thank uh, Michael Stuziak for some of the questions too. By the way,
0: um, hey, shout out to Fox Brothers too. Those guys that helped me along my career a lot. They're NorCal people, and uh, yeah, they they really supported me in my whole career. So I want to say I hi to Jeff and Bob.
1: You, the uh, the retro stuff they just came out with. Uh, probably I don't know if you saw it or not, but it's pretty much exactly like the uh, mid to late '70s stuff that the guys like Barnett and those guys wore over here. So it was oh, pretty cool. Pretty cool. Yeah. Um. Yeah, thank- I was a Fox guy
0: the whole time. You were.
1: Yeah, you were. Uh, yeah, your get-up get in 82 looked good. The black and gold, and, and uh, um, it was a strong look with the Simons uh, upside-down forks, and yeah, it looked good. A rye helmet. So. Yeah. Um, thanks for doing this, Brad. I really appreciate it. Like I said, I think it, more than ever, it uh, with Villapoto's decision coming into the uh, news, and I'm really excited to watch uh, some GPs. I'll probably go over to one or two next year. I'm really excited to see how that works, and how how excitement that is people need to remember you did the same thing although it was a hell of a lot harder
0: when you did it that's for sure no so doubt about it it's not it. going to be a piece of cake for him and uh, i really uh, take my hat off to him because you know what this is going to do for gps in america oh man everybody's going to be watching now where nobody watched before so no. he's going to bring a whole new awareness to that and uh, you know it's just going to be great for the sport
1: no absolutely well thank you for doing the btosports.com RacerX podcast presented by fox racing i really appreciate it bad brad lackey former 500 cc world champion and national champion champion as well thanks for doing this brad appreciate it
0: thank you all right see you bye this has been the btosports.com podcast show presented by fox racing